Hello, I'm Ken Bruce. I appeared as a guest on My Time Capsule, and after that I had to give up a job I'd had for 46 years. <sighs> anyway, they want me to tell you that they've started a thing called Acast Plus, where for a small monthly fee you can get the podcast ad-free. For me, I think the ad's are the best thing in it. That Fenton Stevens, he does drone on a bit. Anyway, whatever you like, do something and have a go at it. ACAS Plus, my time capsule. Thanks, Ken. Charming. Anyway, to get my time capsule ad-free and for a bonus my time capsule, the debrief episode every week, subscribe to ACAS Plus. Details in the description of this episode. Thanks. Bloody Ken Bruce, what a cheek. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and in this podcast, I talk to various people about the five things from their life that they would like to put into a time capsule, four things that they cherish and would like to preserve, and one thing that they would like to bury in the ground and never have to visit again. My guest this week is Anna Tuchinsky. Anna is one of the presenters of the hugely successful podcast, No Such Thing as a Fish. Yeah, one day, maybe. She also works as a QI elf, finding facts and information for the television programme QI. So, here's Anna, talking to me about the five things that she would like to put into her time capsule. But first of all, we talked about how to pronounce her surname. I mean, P-T-A-S-Z-Y-N-S-K-I. I mean, what's wrong with Smith? So Anna, Anna Bozinski, thank you. Now, now, there's, there's the thing. Do you sound the P or the, just the T? It's just the T. It's just astonishing tea. you've gone this long without knowing. It is ridiculous, yeah. isn't it? And yeah. yet, I, I think you'll find that there are lots of people that put that P in there. I think that might be the case. That's why no, no one ever dares to say it. It's first names only. Yeah. So I was bold enough there and then bold enough to admit that I'm an idiot. Well done. Thank That's you. an impressive thing. You could you could admit you were wrong. No, it's the it's a silent P. Sometimes it's pronounced as a ch. So Dan on the podcast says Chuzinski, mm. uh, which is also incorrect, but slightly close to being correct. Uh, but I think we have a little bit of a um, just say it however you want to say it policy. 
<laughs> I'm going to call you Anna. Call That's me it. Anna. That's pretty easy. <laughs> the name of your autobiography. Yeah. Call me Anna. Call me Anna. <laughs> okay. Well, here I am with this uh, time capsule, and we're going to put five things from your life into it. So, what's your first item? So, I think my first item that I would like to time capsulize is a soft toy called Koo. Uh, who I don't have anymore, but am I allowed to do that? Am I allowed to bring something back from Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is anything from your life. Um, so this is, I told you before this, I had no tragedy uh, to report, but this is actually a totally tragic story. So Koo is my best friend. Uh, so my when I was a baby, very young baby, my parents were sort of wandering down the road and she, she fell off the back of a truck it sounds like an implausible story now I'm saying it, but genuinely it was a little cuddly toy cat yeah. sort of, and she fell off the back of this truck. My mother picked her up from the road. She was already quite squashed. She'd been run over, took her home and she was, uh, we were, we were inseparable for the first, well, embarrassingly really for the first 22 years of my life. But we had these amazing adventures together. So I used to go to this place every night called the Atlantic hole and it was just me and Koo who went. And <laughs> it was, uh, oh, my gosh. I mean, they were the best times of my life. They So I, I could get there because I'd found this bizarre. I mean, this sounds like I'm an insane person when I'm reporting this. You'll probably have to cut this out. Otherwise, I'll be sectioned. But <laughs> I, as the story went, I'd found a, a jar of green glass. And it turned out this was a passport to the Atlantic hole. And every night I got up and I had a little magic car that appeared and we drove to the coast uh, to the uh, Atlantic. So quite a long drive, actually, mm-hmm. from where I was in Oxfordshire. And Ku and I got out and there was a trapdoor in the sand and we opened that and we slid down this tunnel, this long, steep tunnel into the bowels of the earth. And we were stopped halfway down that slide by a lion uh, who asked to see your jar, which is your passport. I think there might have been a password as well, and lets you through, and then you slide down into the Atlantic hole, which is this magical world below the ocean. And I went there every night, and then every morning, my entire family had to hear my latest adventure in the Atlantic hole. Well, that's brilliant. And that was Koo. Koo and I did that together. Well, so, are you going to write these books? Mm, Do you remember the stories? What was your favourite uh, trip? I, I, I remember a trip where all the houses were made of fruit, which is weird because I'm not sure I liked fruit that much, but it was really <laughs> exciting. And so you could sort of eat your own house as you hung around in it. And God, I've lost some of them. I'd have to really dread, go back into my memory, dredge them up. Might have to ask my siblings. It was actually really tragic because my brother, who's a year and a half younger than me, every morning would say, oh my gosh, please, please, can you take me tonight? And every day I'd say, yeah, I promise I'll take you tonight. Yeah, all you've got to do is stay awake until midnight. And then I just, I could never take him, sadly. Oh no. It was really sad. That's awful. Yes. Oh, bless him. I know. Couldn't he make up his own place? What do you mean make up? Oh, sorry, I beg your pardon. I I mean... Either you go to the Atlantic Hall or you don't. There's no, there's no make-up in this, I'm afraid. When I was a boy, my father used to make up stories about him in the war and he claimed he was a secret agent and he had a submarine at the um, bottom of his garden in the River Thames. And every day he would get a phone call from the Queen mm-hmm. saying, we need you, Harry. Oh my God. And uh, they were my childhood stories, but told to me by my father. I didn't make them up myself. That is fantastic. I got a flutter of excitement hearing that, even though I suspect it wasn't true. But even so, 
Wow, that must have been really cool. Was he actually? He was. Was he? Was he involved in the war in a non-submarine at the bottom of the garden? Then yes, he was in the Dental Corps. Was he? <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> a vital corps in wartime, well, right? Well, certainly a non-combatant corps, which is why he chose it. Yeah, uh, he was. He was a devout coward. And was rightly so. Yeah. <laughs> Good on him. I think I'd be exactly the same. Yeah. Uh, we did we were researching recently um the health of like dental care in wartime. And it was something like uh the requirements to get into the army. I think it was in the First World War, the requirements where you had to have three pairs of opposing teeth and they had to relax that because not enough people had that. And I think it still wasn't much better in the Second World War. I mean, practically all of them had to have dentures fitted. Good Lord. It was mad. Yeah. Not by my father, I don't think. He was the assistant to a, a dentist who was a very posh man. He said he was a, a, the colonel who was the dentist. Mm -hmm. And he once said to him, are you going into town, Harry? And he said, I am, sir. He said, um, good, I might come with you. Are you going on the bus? He said, I am. He said, how, how exciting. I've never been on a bus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, your father showed him a, a new side of life. Yes. He'd never known. Did he survive the bus run? Uh, yeah, he, they all survived. They're all the dental Excellent. corps. I don't think they, was, <laughs> they weren't born. Not one of them. So your dad, your dad wasn't doing, your dad was just sort of giving out that I've been very brave at the dentist stickers, was he? <laughs> What was what was his role? <laughs> he would hand the instruments over. Oh, I see. Yes. Oh, that guy. That guy. Oh. Yeah. Okay, I can see why he made up the submarine story. Yeah, yeah, make his life <laughs> slightly more interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, describe Koo to me. About how big was she? She was. I would say she's the length of a mm, the length of a forearm, mm -hmm. if you will. Uh, like I say, quite a squashed face. A Muddy brown appearance, but with a white little collar, you know, like the napkin tucked in look that cats have. Yeah. Some white paws. And she was always in motion. Quite uncomfortable for her. She was always in sort of a galloping pose. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, she was my constant companion. But the sad thing about her was I knew that she loved an adventure, obviously. And as I grew up and had to do things like go to school and go to university, then I had to send her off on her own adventures. And there was one time where... My boyfriend at the time was, oh, no, actually, we, we'd broken up. He was just my friend at the time. He was going to live in Africa for a while in Kenya. And I thought, well, Koo's going to love that. And the idea of her looking out at the big cats, at the lions, and seeing, you know, her, her brothers and sisters, the great work they were doing out there in the Maasai Mara, was too much to resist. So I gave her, I lent her to Mungo, uh, my friend, and he came back without her. No. And... I'm not going to say that's totally what destroyed the relationship, but I'd ninety percent. Oh, I'm not surprised. I reckon ninety percent cause of breakup, bastard. I'm not surprised. Bastard. It is. I do find it quite weird the human attachment to inanimate things. Is we? I think we we did a, a show recently where we were talking about robotics and how if you make a robot seal or a robot cuddly toy, people don't want to hurt it at all, even if they know it's a robot. So if the if the robot cute seal says switch me off now you have to kill me people won't do it and there was a computer scientist at a conference last year i think uh weirdly called noel sharkey who <laughs> clubbed a robot seal to death no living up to his name he clubbed this robotic seal to death at a conference to say look guys this doesn't make any sense you're all freaking out at this you swat flies left right and center 
but you freak out if I tear the head off a teddy bear. It's so weird how we anthropomorphize anything that sort of resembles us in any way. Yeah. So really, we should be tearing the heads off teddy bears constantly and rescuing the flies if we were logical creatures. <laughs> but we're not. We're not. Uh, no, sadly, that's true. Okay. <laughs> Hannah, right, I'm going to take a little coo. Oh, look, look, coo's just come into the room. Ah, <laughs> coo. In you go, in you go. I'm going to put a saucer of milk down. Yeah, she loves, she loves milk. She loves milk, even though cats aren't supposed to drink milk because they're lactose intolerant. But what can you do? <laughs> She's an individual. She's an individual. Yeah. Okay. Coo's got into the into the time capsule. Bye, Coo. Great to see you briefly. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. You can see Coo anytime you like. At the end of this, I'm going to give you this time capsule, and it's yours. And you can you can sneak a peek. You can go inside if you like. Oh, I'll climb in. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it has to be quite a big one. Then. How big are we talking here? As big as you like. Right. But I suppose the bigger it is, the bigger the hole I'm going to have to dig yep. in order to bury it. So you've got to weigh these things up, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, if that's the case, let's see how big it needs to be. What's your second item? Uh, mm, yeah, this could be problematic size-wise. It's a camel, a live camel. Ah, you see. Yeah. That's, that is going to be an issue. But they're my favourite animal. Yeah, I love camels. I love any, the whole camelid family. I'm a big fan. And the reason is... Uh, I discovered this when I was on my gap year uh, and I went on, I sort of like joined one of those group tours for a couple of months to the Middle East. And I actually, I went to Jordan and Egypt and I met a bunch of camels there and I find their faces the most captivating things. The kind of smug, all-knowing, superior, disdainful smile on the face of a camelid is brilliant. I think they know everything and are concealing it all. And I, I developed this impression. I can do a really good camel impression, which doesn't work very well on a podcast, but it's very strong. And I think I'd have to take one. I feel a real affinity with them. And because I think they are the fount of all knowledge, um, I reckon that's going to come in quite handy in the future. Very useful. Aren't you worried about yeah. being spat at? Oh, it's just all part of their charm. Part of their their spunky, spitty charm. The fact that at any moment they can just turn around and cover you with drool. Yeah, I don't know why they do that. I quite, I, but I like the stroppiness of a camel. And like I say, it's not. It's camels at the top, but I also love llamas and alpacas. Same family. Weirdly, in these uh, these dark days of isolation, I'm currently in the countryside, and I'm next to a field of alpacas which is just my dream, really. It's working out very Perfection, well. Perfection, yeah. yeah. Giraffes, I'll take giraffes because giraffes are honorary camelids because their scientific name is Camel Lepardis, you know, because they thought, um, I think the ancient Greeks thought that a giraffe was a hybrid of a, was it, a, it was a, lep yeah, a leopard and a camel, which always oh, it seems kind of weird because <laughs> neither a leopard nor a camel has a neck the length of the Eiffel Tower, but... Yeah, so gi giraffes can come. Okay. You see, whenever I've seen a camel up close in real life, mm. they really do look at you as much as to say, you know, what are you looking at? They do, don't they? Mm. Yeah. With those huge eyes. And that constant chewing, that's a sort uh -huh. of, it's slightly, it's a very aggressive thing, isn't it? That It looks like a gangster. You it know, one really of those does. The people who used to chew a little stick. Yeah, they're, they're sizing you up and they're wondering whether to leave the dead horse in your bed or not. And they could. They could. Yeah, they've got it's the Alex Ferguson chew, the constant chew of someone who knows the best thing to be done and is just watching with disdain as the rest of us cock it up. I like I like all of that. 
we actually had a very exciting time with some camels uh, when I was in Egypt. And so I was 18 and it was all very thrilling and I hadn't really traveled on my own before. And we were wandering around the streets of Cairo, probably quite stupid, sort of three young girls. And we'd heard that the pyramids, you weren't allowed to go into the pyramids to, at dawn, there was a certain time you were allowed to go in, obviously, it's a tourist site. And we, for some reason, were determined that we were going to see the sun rise over the pyramids. And so we found some guy who said that he'd get his camels and put us on them and ride us sneakily around the back to where there was a hole in the fence, I think. <laughs> and sure, it's really irresponsible. I'm so sorry for like desecrating a tourist site, but we did it. It was brilliant. So yeah, three of us girls, this guy, his camels, sneaking over this broken bit of fence. One of my friends actually got <laughs> got thrown off the camel at one point, uh, but was very, very brave about it climbed back on, and we saw the sun rise over the pyramids of Giza, which was magical. With some camels? With some camels, who couldn't have cared less. <laughs> They'd seen it all before. by the pyramids. <laughs> OK. Well, some people like little puppies and other people like lions and tigers. You're a camel girl. I'm a camel girl. Mm -hmm. Actually, can I, I think I have a favourite camel fact... And since facts are, you know, my uh, my bread and butter, can I tell you my favourite camel fact? Yeah, please do. Which is, I, I partly like this because, um, so, uh, so I do for anyone who doesn't know, this podcast called No Such Thing as a Fish, where we sort of uncover the weirdest facts we can. And my favourite type of fact is when I've got carried away, usually sort of late at night, a few glasses of wine, and I'm reading kind of old Google books, or no, you, you sometimes get archived manuscripts and stuff, and you just find yourself paging through and I was reading a book called Bruce's Travels in Abyssinia. And I think it was written in the late 18th century. And he just casually mentioned that wherever he was in Abyssinia at the time, uh, he came across this village where if you got into an argument, the policy was you blamed everything on a camel. And so he came across these two like <laughs> big sets of villagers. They were about to kill each other. They took this camel, they dragged it into the middle of the village and they shouted and screamed at it. Everyone shouted their grievances at it. And then they sent the camel away. And that was, you know, considered job done. It's the same as a scapegoat, really. Yeah. But I, love that. I think we should do that. We should bring that back. Have a camel in the middle of the House of Commons. And when things get a bit too heated, just shout at that for a while. I think maybe shouting at a camel perhaps that sort of personifies the absurdity of a lot of the ridiculous arguments and tiffs that we get into. Perhaps you'd be screaming at it and halfway through you think, what on earth am I doing? You're right. I forgive you. You can have my, you know, the plank of wood that you nicked from behind my house the other day or whatever it was. <laughs> that is the thing I'm going to shout the next time I, I witness road rage. <laughs> I'm going to shout, right, look, mate, go and shout at a camel. Go and blame it on the camel. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they're going to fare well there. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Okay, let's put, let's put, well, I'm going to put a herd of camels in there. I don't care. Oh, thank you. I don't yeah, care. I'll do, I could do with a herd. Yeah. And carry my supplies. Well, it gives some company when you're busy playing with Koo. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. All right, lovely. So there we are. We've got Koo. We've got camels. Mm -hmm. What else are we going to have? Okay, we're just going to take a quick ad break. We'll be back with Anna very shortly. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to My Time Capsule. So let's find out what other things Anna would like to put into her time capsule. Number three, I'm going to go for the top, the pinnacle of Arthur's Seat in Edinburgh. So the mountain, I'm going to call it, although it's very much a hill in Edinburgh, for those who don't know it, which is beautiful. Have you been to it? You must have. I have seen it. I've seen it many times. I, I'm ashamed to say I've never been up it. Mike, the number of times you've performed in Edinburgh, you've worked at Edinburgh, you've never gone up Arthur's Seat. I'm that always an outrage. too drunk. <laughs> <laughs> There's no such thing. You're barely allowed to go up it when you're sober. <laughs> Fresh as tradition. Yeah, I love Arthur's Seat. I, who, there's a really good quote about it um, by Robert Louis Stevenson, which is something like, "It's this isn't it, but look it up. But it's a mountain in all of its character. It thinks it's a mountain. So it's very sort of craggy. It's got a real gothic aura to it. And I lived in Edinburgh for seven years. It's my favorite city in the world. It's the best city in the world objectively fact and uh i love arthur's seat and it was always such a good escape so in uni especially in first year at uni uh our halls our accommodation was next to arthur's seat and for anyone who's been in a situation like that like university or army barracks or boarding school and you're crushed together and then you introduce a lot of glenn's vodka sometimes it gets pretty uh pretty claustrophobic yeah and it was just bliss having arthur's seat there in the background where sometimes you'd sneak out run up to the top of it think okay it's good this is gonna be okay and it was just a lot of good memories there. So as a fresher, you know, we'd all, you'd go up at Halloween or you'd go up in the middle of the night and it's a beautiful spot. And from the top of it, you can look down over the best, the best city in the world. And the sea. And the can sea. Can you see the sea from up there? Yeah. I don't know because I've never been up there. So I'm guessing. 
you've heard you've yeah. heard stories i'm here to tell you firsthand you can see the sea on one side the mountains on the other edinburgh on another and i got married up arthur's seat in fact last year oh, so how lovely it congratulations. was how was the weather it astonishingly was beautiful so we had a week in the highlands beforehand and me and my now husband and couple of friends and it pissed it down with rain incessantly for five days and then we got to wedding day and there were three precious hours of stunning sunshine so if that's not a good omen no then this thing's gonna last it's gonna last it's gotta last because the sun's on for three hours (laughs) well i've got a fact for you actually oh yeah go on um apparently three hours of sunshine in edinburgh is a record right I see. Mm-hmm. Okay, as, a, as, a, as a fan of Edinburgh, obviously I'm not going to take that kindly. Uh, you might, you'll be astonished to learn, Mike, if you spent less time, you know, hung over in your Edinburgh <laughs> festival flat and more time outside. The weather's actually often very sunny in Edinburgh. It's just very cold. Mm. Well, that's how I remembered it. Everyone else I went to uni with remembers it as pouring with rain the whole time. But Well, this last Edinburgh, I refused to take a coat because I thought, no. <laughs> you didn't? I thought it's... You didn't take a coat? Because it was mm. August. It's mm. August. And and right. I'm not taking a coat. Look. And I survived until the last week. And it was so cold <laughs> and so wet <laughs> that I went into a charity shop. Now, I would say this about Edinburgh, best charity shops in the world. Yeah, well... They know they're going to find a bunch of idiot Englishmen without coats. You know, they're, they're well stocked. They're waiting for you. It does have an excellent charity shop scene. You didn't bring a coat to Edinburgh. Come on. I know it's summer, but you still need at least five layers if you're going to go outside there. Yeah. Yeah. That's slightly what I object to. But there we are. <laughs> um, I love. Oh, another. So I love. You have, have you been up the crags? I almost gave the And crags, I've been actually. to Edinburgh lots of times. I've never been anywhere. You've never, you've never stepped outside of wherever you were performing. Okay. Uh, so the Crags is also the bit that leads up to Arthur's Seat. And that's, again, a lovely place and a bit less crowded. And that, uh, there was found in the Crags. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying about going to the Atlantic Hole and Coup. And I love sort of, sort of adventure and the idea of finding something hidden that no one else knows about. So I love that in, I think it was the 1820s or the 1830s, five boys were hunting rabbits on the crags and around Arthur's seat. And they found this like weird hidden nook in the rocks, in the cliff face. And so they chipped away at it and a massive sort of cave opened behind it. And they found 17 miniature coffins, perfectly sculpted coffins. And inside each one, a tiny miniature sculpted doll with all its clothes sewn on and everything. And we have no idea where they came from or why they were there, what they were doing. Oh, or we can do word. speculate. That's wouldn't brilliant. that be great? Oh, to know what that is would be marvellous, wouldn't it? Yeah. I kind of wish my great granddad was still alive because I remember when he was living in Edinburgh, he used to make these little coffins. But um, that's not true. Oh God, damn it! I got... <laughs> you thought you'd found the answer. I thought. How gullible am I? It's all this isolation. I've lost my sense of humour entirely. Uh, yeah. Well, there's well there is a suggestion that there are lots of suggestions. One is that. Um, it was for sailors who'd been lost at sea, so you couldn't bury them, so you'd have a sort of mock burial. Mm. But there's also the thought that it was uh, based on the Burke and Hare murders because they happened around about the same time just before they were found, and they had 17 victims as well. So Burke and Hare, you know, that for anyone who doesn't know, the people who murdered 
te- their tenants. They let out their rooms, they murdered their tenants, and then they sold the bodies to people to dissect, to medics to dissect. So they had 17 victims, 16 they murdered, one died of natural causes. And it does seem a suspicious coincidence that these 17 coffins are there. So I think someone said maybe they felt so guilty about it. It was their way of purging their guilt as they sewed up a little miniature figure of their victim and stuck them in a fake coffin. I don't know. Maybe that's, you know, that's a way of condoning. Yeah, possibly. Okay, right. I'm going to top of Arthur's seat. And now I, you know, I can imagine what it's like. And I'll have to. Yeah. Well, someone else can go up and get it because yeah. I know you're not going up there. I can take a picture and bring it down to me. Yeah. That'll be nice. But you will have that lovely view. Take a coat. That's all I'm saying. Take two. <laughs> there we are. That's three. Three things. So what's number four? Uh, so my fourth, I was thinking about this uh, yesterday. I was thinking about, you know, what I would want to put in my time capsule. And like I said, I'm in the countryside and I went for a cycle ride and was sort of pondering what what really means a lot to me. What would I really want to keep? And then I just thought, obviously, my bike. Uh, so as I was sitting, riding on that bicycle, it was screaming at me, obviously, you're going to keep me. I absolutely love my bicycle. It's my favorite thing that I own. And I cycle everywhere that I possibly can. And I wouldn't wouldn't give it up for the world, even though people have tried desperately to persuade me, partly because I've had a series of quite bad accidents on it, because I don't think I'm actually very good at cycling. <laughs> but sod it. Yeah. I'm staying on. Now, I've heard this of you, that actually you're incredibly <laughs> lethal. I am. I am. <laughs> Only to myself, though. I'm a danger to nobody else. All, all three accidents I've had uh, that have been quite bad. So once I broke, sort of like broke my jaw and lost a bunch of teeth. And then another time I broke my wrist. Another time I had quite a bad concussion. None of them involved any other road users whatsoever. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just I'm a danger to myself. How but I of love you. it. I know. <laughs> Really Do you cycle? Uh, no, I don't cycle, no. No. Cycle. Yeah, I don't climb mountains. I don't cycle. I basically sit at home doing nothing. <gasps> do, do, what do you do? Talk me into a microphone. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I actually dislike hills. No, I'm not keen on hills either. No. That's probably why I don't cycle normally. No. Yeah. I, I don't like hills. I have to say, I don't even like going down hills because as you're zooming down a hill, you're just painfully aware of the fact you're going to have to go back up it at some point. And I always think, I honestly think that if I if I die, because I spend so much time dragging my bike, you know, cycling up hills, it will be exactly like this British cyclist. And I can't remember his name. It was really sad. It's in the 70s. And I think it was the Tour de France. But um, he and it was a time when bizarrely in cycling races until quite late, you were only allowed to drink a very limited amount of water. It was something like a litre of water a day or something ridiculous. No idea why they imposed that rule. But there was this British cyclist who was just struggling up a hill and he just keels over and he he died. And sometimes every time I go up a hill, in fact, I think this is it. This is the one. My heart can't take this. It's over. <laughs> well, you did in that description use the word zooming down a hill. And maybe that's why you have these accidents. It's the zooming. The zooming. I do love the zoom. Do you? You've got to zoom. Do you wear a helmet? I do wear a helmet. Good. Yes, indeed. Good. Uh, I feel better about it then. I do. Although, interesting fact, helmets are vital when cycling because if you have a head injury, it stops getting a traumatic head injury. But there's very little evidence they do much about concussion because concussion is your brain sort of jamming into your brain case. Mm. And so that's why it's such a massive problem in American football 
uh, where they all wear helmets. But they, they did a study and it was something like they looked at 110 former American footballers and looked at their brain function. And I swear it was 109 of them that showed essentially brain damage from their times playing American football. Oh, my God. Uh, because of the repeated concussions. Oh. But, yeah, I do wear a helmet. And I love cycling because it's kind of, I'm sorry to go go a bit Sandy Toxvig Women's Equality Party on you, but I think of it as quite a female liberation symbol. So there's so much, if you look into the history of cycling in the 19th century, women really took to it. So it was when roads started having better surfacing tarmacs, we were able to ride bicycles. And you can tell that women took to it because there was this huge backlash of people saying women mustn't cycle. It's very bad for their health. So there were lots of doctors who said <laughs> that women riding bikes will make them infertile. Uh, there was lots of advice saying uh, there was there's one great um, magazine which said women, if you must cycle, don't wear your brother's clothes just to see how it feels. You know, keep wearing the nice dresses you do wear. Don't scream if you meet a cow. Don't use bicycle <laughs> slang. And there was all this scaremongering about what would happen if women started cycling. And I, and that's always just a sign that, you know, they're getting more freedom. They were suddenly posing a bit of a threat. It's like you're doing this thing that men are supposed to do. Mm. And I think and I did a podcast research once on this woman called Annie Londonderry, who's my hero. She was the first person to cycle around the world. And she did it in the late 1890s uh, or maybe the early 1890s. And she was a 23 year old woman, American Jewish woman. She had a husband and children and she just she'd never got on a bike before. And she suddenly said, I'm going to ride around the world. She learned to ride a bike the next day. She funded herself, but she was actually originally called Annie Cohen Kopchowski, and she changed her name to Annie Londonderry because she was sponsored by Londonderry Water, which is a type of <laughs> mineral water. And she, she changed her name as a way to sort of get money off them, more a big sign. And she went around the world and had incredible adventures and made up lots of stuff as well. So she was shot by the Japanese and, you know, almost drowned in the sea. And she met Wild Bill Hickok or someone like that. And what a character, just getting on a bicycle and cycling away. And I think that for me, it really, it feels like I'm free every time I get on my bike. Yeah, off round the world. Off round the world, yes. Well, I just need you to describe the bike to me, though. Is is it, have you got what they call a a lady's bike? I don't have what they call a lady's bike because they are not zoomy enough, I'm afraid. I've got a beautiful bike. I've had lots of bikes stolen in the past because I'm not a very good bike owner, but I've had this one for a year and a half. And it's a road bike. It's turquoise. And uh, she, it's a she. And I know it's toe-curlingly horrendous when people name their bikes, but I'm afraid she's got a name and she's called Celine. <laughs> Sorry. And um, I got her. It's a place where you buy bikes it's in South London somewhere and you buy your bike. And for every bicycle you buy, they give another two bicycles to Syrian refugee Syrian refugee women, I think it is, or maybe just Syrian refugees, and teach them to cycle. Wow. And it's a way of helping them get around London. Oh, that's brilliant. And give them a course. So it's a really great charity. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Your bicycle is definitely going in there. You know, I've got a stand for it and everything. Have you? It's got a shelter. Oh, wow. Gosh, it doesn't even have a shelter now. Thanks. Well, you know, but you've got a bit of Scotland in there, so it's bound to rain. Uh, Again, I deny that. A dig, a little dig. 
Oh, it's cheap, isn't it, really? <laughs> it's low, very low. <laughs> okay, so we've got one more thing. And this item, I'm afraid, is something that, that you'd really like to put in there in its own little private compartment and just seal it up. Mm. Mm. Yes. This is something that I'm hoping the camels eat, and I think they will. Um, it's. I would like to give my exercise book from primary school, and it's a very specific exercise book, it's uh, one where I was in year five, I believe, and it was an exercise book that I doodled on. So I, someone taught me, I think a babysitter at some point taught me to do these cartoon character faces, which I'm not ashamed of those because I was bloody good at those. And I drew these cartoon character faces all over this exercise book. And then, and this doesn't show me up in a very good light, which is why the camel's going to have to eat it. In the back of the book, for some reason, I wrote... I really like X teacher uh, and I really don't like Y teacher. And then I thought, well, what have I done? I can't now submit this exercise book uh, to have it marked because people are going to see. This is the most typical me thing. I have no long-term thought process at all. (laughs) I just do what what takes me in the moment and then afterwards think, oh, shit, how am I going to deal with that? Um, So the way I dealt with it was I locked it up in my briefcase. I had a briefcase like the biggest nerd you've ever seen. It was covered in Jumanji stickers. It was really embarrassing. I'm amazed I didn't get beaten that more. Um, and it had codes like you had, I had the code that you used to open it. And I lied and I said I'd forgotten the code because uh, I was like, this is it. That's fine. Again, no long term thinking. I can't stay like that forever. Um, so my dear friends devoted a whole lunch break to cracking the codes on my briefcase. And I watched them get closer and closer. The briefcase opened. The exercise book came out. And so I just had to hand it in with my homework in it. And lo and behold, I was called to the deputy headmistress's office. It was a woman I really didn't like at the best of times. And she said, um, what on earth is this? You've drawn, you've doodled on your exercise book. That's a huge faux pas. Uh, <laughs> and not only that, we've seen this nasty thing you've written in the back. And I panicked. And this is why it's going into the camel's mouth, please, or at the bottom of the time capsule. And horrendously, in the, one of the most shameful moments of my life, I said, I didn't, I didn't do it. It wasn't me. Uh, I think it might have been my little sister, uh, <laughs> who was also at the school at the time. Oh, no, Anna. Uh, I know. Look, it, the words came out of my mouth. Like I say, I don't, I don't plan ahead, okay? <laughs> so I said, I think it's Rebecca, maybe. I said that I taught her to do those cartoon characters. And um, then I, so I was dismissed. And they obviously didn't believe me. Uh, She's three years younger than me. She could barely put a pen to paper. She's barely literate now. Um, So, but they, you know, they sort of pretended to believe me or whatever. And I, as soon as I left the office, I thought, what have I done? This is a disaster. So I found my sister in the playground at break time. And I said, look, Becca, I've done this thing. I'm really sorry. Don't panic. Just say it wasn't you. And we'll just all deny, deny, deny. And so she did get called out of a lesson. Oh, I think she cried. Oh, God. She got called out of a lesson and then obviously said, it wasn't me. It was obviously my sister. And I suspect the teacher said, yeah, no shit. And um, (laughs) so that was that. And then I got a serious telling off. But that it really represents, I think, all the all the horrendously shameful moments that we all have, right? I think that for most normal human beings, unless maybe you're Donald Trump or Boris Johnson, life is just a series of jumping from one shameful, self-loathing moment to the next. Mm. And that is like the first one imprinted on my memory. And I feel terrible. 
feel terrible ever since. So I'd like to get rid of that as my final apology. That's very good. I, you know, uh, there's a part of that story that I think is well puts you in in puts you in a good light. <laughs> That's which a fascinating is, way to look at it. When you went to see your sister, mm. you tried to help her get out of that trouble, rather than saying to her, "Why the hell did you draw this cartoon on my exercise book?" I did. I didn't quite have the chagrin uh, to just confront her and claim I thought she'd done it, which maybe is maybe the likes of Donald Trump might have done. So perhaps it's not the seventh layer of hell for me. Perhaps it's just the sixth. Yeah, well done. Uh, do you know what? It's all a result of you just doing what you always do, which is zooming downhill. Zooming downhill always, not looking ahead, not looking at what's at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Anna, lovely. Well, I'm going to seal up the time capsule and I'll post it to you, I'm afraid. I'd love to be in the room with you to give it to you. But uh, here we are. We're doing uh, isolating. We are. So I'm going to send it to you with my love and thanks. Thank you. I'll heavily disinfect it as soon as it arrives yeah. and then bury it away. Thank you. I'll treasure it. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Anna Tuszynski. If you've enjoyed this program, why not subscribe on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from. It's easy. Just get your phone out and click subscribe. Why not leave a review or rate us? But please leave a nice review. And it's the five stars you click. Thank you. Anyway, the program was edited and produced by John Fenton Stevens, and the music, playing in the background, was by Pass the Peas Music. Let's just have a little listen. Yeah, it's good enough. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at MyTCPod. Or you can follow me, if you like, on Twitter at Fenton Stevens. My Time Capsule is a cast off production. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, I hope to see you again, especially because you've now subscribed. Hooray! Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.